Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Kate Holderhoff, and I am an analyst at Redmonk, the developer-focused analyst firm, as well as an affiliated researcher at Georgia Tech. In today's episode, I'm joined by Freddie Baer, Staff Site Reliability Engineer at Observability Solution Honeycomb. On this episode, Fred and I will be exploring best practices for measuring the success of an incident response program. Hi, Fred. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Kate. Uh, It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm looking forward to diving in and uh, trying to communicate properly without being able to have people see my hands moving around, I guess. (laughs) I know the feeling. To help orient our listeners, let's begin by sharing a bit about your role as an SRE. What does this position look like at Honeycomb? And more broadly, how does this type of engineer create impact uh, in their organization? Right. Uh, This is always a bit of a tricky question because SRE is different uh, everywhere I look. Uh, We've established a sort of little charter that divided the role into three categories uh, with some comparisons with other jobs. So one of them is just like championing the reliability and scalability, which is a bit like being a public health official and trying to have uh, broad policies that improve uh, the population's health. Uh, We have one about providing a system level perspective to people. So, uh, you know, things related to platform concerns and large level about scaling capacity planning and stuff like that. And the last one is leading the on-call and incident practices, which is a bit closer to fire marshal's role of investigation, inspection, and coordination. We try to avoid taking the entire responsibility and instead to be able to redistribute it and embed it properly into all teams, which is somewhat easy to do at Honeycomb because the company had a, a strong operational discipline even before the SRE team was a thing. All right, that makes sense. And I hear we already got some of the you know major keywords that we're going to be thinking about uh, in this uh, conversation here, fire marshal. So you, you know, let's maybe start to dig into that that as a, a concept here. Um, so it's difficult to pinpoint sort of which metrics make sense when it comes to evaluating the success of your org's incident response techniques. Uh, you've written a little bit about this in a recent blog post where you make a comparison between you know, the, the incident response at most organizations and fire management. So uh, are you able to, to sort of uh, connect those dots and explain uh, why it's not as cut and dry as, it, as, as one might think? Right. Uh, it, it's one of the basic things of wanting to do reliability is that the, the reliability is often visible or lack thereof is often visible through incidents and outages. And it's very easy to want to turn them into a sort of metric that you track. You want to have fewer outages over time. And uh, you count them by all sorts of things, whether it is the time to recovery or just flat out the number of incidents. And even internally, uh, when we first stood up the SRE team, we wanted to be able to figure out how to track our success. And the suggestion to count incidents came in extremely early. This has... uh, very easy to foresee problems around uh, each metric becoming something you game. And if you start counting incidents, then you start wondering whether something is an incident or not, uh, whether it requires the response of an incident or not, whether it needs to be publicly acknowledged and how you account for all of them. And even when we were aware of that mechanism and bias that comes up with gaming a metric, we were still finding ourselves prey to it. And 
over time and quickly enough, we sort of decided, you, you know what, the thing we want to do is not be lucky in our metrics and have a target that is things we hope don't happen in this case incidents. We instead just decided to say, like, let's pick things we measure that are based on the things we think we can do. And that ends up being not counting the incidents, but rather looking at how we react when they happen and whether we think we take the right preventative measures according to our experience and expertise and what to do. So to make that short, it would be the whole thing is that incidents are somewhat unavoidable. If they are avoidable, they're often long-standing consequences of decisions that were made in the organization or the industry at large a long, long time ago. They can be ecosystemic and not necessarily something that a single team of department can deal with. And so the analogy with firefighting became somewhat uh, very practical for us uh, in comparing them with forest fires. Uh, you may want to count the number of fires you had to fight in a season or in a year because they let you know the type of demand you have, how tricky or dangerous or demanding the process is. Uh, but you wouldn't necessarily say that, hey, you had like 50 more fires this year in the forest area you have. Therefore, your firefighters are failing and they need to change what they're doing the number of fires and the response are not necessarily connected, or at least not entirely connected. Talk to me a, a bit more about this idea of letting the small fires go while you prioritize bigger fires. What's the risk incurred by ignoring some fires, and how do you decide which incidents to prioritize? Right. One of the most interesting things in terms of reliability uh, that I recall reading was this Deepwater Horizon uh, incident, the Gulf of Mexico, I think it was in 2008, like the day before Deepwater Horizon sort of blew up, they were having managers on site to celebrate uh, years of no downtime incidents. And, you know, the biggest disaster happens there. In forestry, what we found out, uh, or rather learned from Aboriginal practices that knew it for all along, is the concept often of uh, prescribed burn of our frequent burns, which clean up the underbrush. And these fire incidents, uh, th these small fires essentially prevent bigger ones from happening. And uh, when it comes to incidents, even in software, there's a similar parallel that if you never have any outage or any incident, you sort of go out of practice and you don't necessarily know if all your mechanisms to fight them or manage them are working right. Um, and so having a lot of uh, or a few small fires here and there gives you a tempo uh, that keeps you in practice, make sure all your processes are still working, or that you find out when it is not absolutely critical about any issues you have to adapt and adjust your practices for the future. And so trying to stamp out all the fires consistently uh, can be worse in the long term than having your prescribed burn and forestry management Whereas, and similarly for incidents, having no incidents at all can leave you in a more brittle position than having a few small ones so that when a bigger one happens, you already have, uh, you know, the, the muscle to manage and fight them is already in place. That makes a lot of sense. What are things that organizations should be learning from incidents that can apply towards the next one or better yet, uh, use it to fortify for a more proactive approach to incident response? So... First of all, the, the, there's a lot of things that we can learn from both successes and failure. That That's generally the advice of learning from normal work. Um, it's because 
most of the things that go right or that go wrong are made or most of these decisions are made in the same spirit with the same information. It's just once the decision has been made, we know if it was a good or a bad decision. Um, nobody or very, very few people are actively trying to sabotage what is going on. So looking at most of your events, whether they are small ones or big ones, are likely to highlight shared properties about decision-making and challenges uh, that are going to carry over from one incident to the next. And they might have a lot to do with how the organization is working, how people seek and find information to help them deal with the situations they're in, the stressors and the challenges and the goal conflicts that they have where you have to balance you know, uptime efficiency, uh, thoroughness, and the speed at which you deliver software and whatnot all end up being things that people negotiate daily. And as you study incidents, whether they are small or big, you get to slowly bring this information and feedback into your organization to improve it continuously. Uh, so for me, that, that's one of the best things we can do about these incidents is not let go of the opportunity to look into how we work and find improvements that we can feed back into the organization. That really resonates with a lot of the stuff that we are seeing at Red Monk. Um, Well-aligned incentives are theoretically good for the business and employees, but they're frequently executed so poorly. And I think a lot of that has to do with a lack of priorities. So the goal of metrics, uh, you know, in, in our uh, view, should be to clarify priorities and help teams to focus on what truly matters. Uh, but one common mistake is that uh, teams are trying to manage too many metrics and tracking too many metrics can lead to all sorts of uh, poor outcomes, you know, conflicting priorities, burnout, trying to measure something uh, so high level that it's disconnected from people's everyday work reality. Uh, so what I'm gathering from this discussion so far is that it's less about looking at success or failure. It's actually much deeper than that. It's about understanding what a good job means in terms of incident response. Am I on the right track uh, with that line of thinking? Absolutely. Uh, for me, it's really difficult to separate the evaluation of success or how well or how good of a job you're doing from the context in which it happens. And this is where, again, firefighting uh, for forest fires becomes interesting is this whole idea that if you're in a climate change situation where forest fires are going to be more and more frequent, being aware of that changing dynamic and what it means to everyday methods and techniques and new things that can be discovered is sort of key to know and adjust what you're doing. And uh, the same is true within an organization. You have to look into the challenges of daily work to figure out what makes sense or not. And I, I had some very useful examples from previous jobs of people constantly blaming, uh, you know, we didn't have enough tests as one of the reason a deployment went wrong and a product launch went wrong. And the organization was looking to provide more testing training to employees to help them ship better code. The next time or the next incident that happened, and it was like in a chain of 20 of them or something like that, I just asked people, like, at the time you merged the pull request and deployed this, what made you feel like you had enough tests? And with the proper amount of privacy and psychological safety, uh, the engineers just revealed to me, they said like, well, it's not even that. It, we knew it was broken. It's just that 
you know, you get yelled at less for shipping broken code than shipping it late. And marketing was already tied into all of the launches and everything. And once you discover this sort of thing, there is no amount of testing training that is going to improve the situation because, uh, yes, again, the goal conflicts were in play here, but it also revealed a whole lot about the structure, about how the prioritizations are communicated within the organization. And when I brought this back to the director of engineering or the VP of engineering, uh, he just told me like, oh, what people have the right and the permission to, you know, stop the chain and break everything and say, we only want to ship stuff securely. And what this had highlighted, for example, is a big disconnect between how upper management perceived the messages and the things they were saying and how they were implemented and the actual pressures of everyday decisions were entirely different. And it, it revealed that, you know, the issue that was initially thought to be about engineers not caring or not doing enough of a job is a much deeper cultural issue within the organization. And at that point, you start looking at the metric to reduce incidents and it's a nice target, but it provides no practical means of reaching it because you have to change a whole lot about how your organization works. It goes a lot deeper than just the people pressing the buttons at the end of the chain at the sharp end. All right. So at this point, I'm going to take off my analyst hat and put on my uh, practitioner hat. I was a, a front-end engineer and uh, worked in some production engineering before I moved into this uh, current role as an analyst. And I'm pretty sure I speak uh, for most engineers in the room uh, with this next question. Do you have any advice for how to explain the strategy to business leaders that might not be as in tune with engineering practices like chaos engineering and some of these uh, ideas about fighting fires that you have mentioned? it might come off as a huge risk to the business. Can you walk me through how to drive alignment between engineering and overall business stakeholders? It's hard. Uh, it is very situated and local. The way I tend to always try to drive change is a bottom-up approach where I will find allies and people who are friendly to the methods and suggestions I make and have them in plenty of small teams and just slowly nudge practice around until I feel I have a bit of traction. And then I will bring it up to upper management as, hey, this is like one of the approaches we have. We have early results because we tried it. We think it can help meet the objectives that you have. And then it's a much, much easier sell. Generally, this came to me from, you know, you go in an airport and you look at all the management books and it's always like, how do you get employees to do what you want? The, the ability to change what people are doing and how they do it, it is sort of generally a mystery even if you try to provide alignment. So if you come up with, I have motivated people and a plan that we think can succeed, you're usually going to get decent buy-in if you have any sort of trust with this other uh, upper management. The other aspect of it is going to be uh, fighting for the new metrics to be incorporated. And it's going to be easier to say like, let's add one of these metrics that we think provides better definition or better information than the one you have before, rather than just removing it entirely. The way I like to explain it is that these metrics are like compression. They let you look at a very, very complex picture with a very simple signal and you necessarily lose context. So the, the two things you need to do is provide better metrics on top of it that either lose less context or every time you report on the metrics you have, you also provide the story that explains what it means. So yes, you have had maybe more incident this time around, but here's the nature that they had. 
here's what we think they have in common and uh, how we think we can impact the metrics. So you, you still do the work of analysis, but you bring up the interpretation and the actions about what they mean instead of just letting the number uh, tell its own story in the mind of people who read it without the context. So we are coming to the close of this uh, podcast, but uh, if there is one key takeaway you want listeners to leave with when it comes to measuring the success of incident response, what would it be? Uh, it would definitely be that you need to measure the things you can do. Uh, and, and that means looking at what is practical. Uh, one of the great examples I like about this is SLOs and error budgets. And generally, there's this tradition of being very, very strict with your error budget. If you burn this much budget, then you need to stop shipping code or you change your uh, roadmap and you schedule more planning work. And this is like as if it were a contract with the organization. I take a much more flexible answer where in my mind, the only metric that matters about that is every time we burn the budget, we have a discussion with the adequate stakeholders. And in that discussion, we have to just come to an agreement. Are we going to shift work to meet the SLO better in the future? Um, are we going to relax the SLO because we think it's not representative of what customers want? Uh, and for those that are a bit you know, stricter, how do we communicate that with them? And so you involve people from customer success, from product, for all of this in the discussions. Or you could also go and say like, well, we're going to keep burning the budget. We have this project ongoing that we think in a few weeks and a few months is going to change it entirely. And there's no productive way of upending it or lowering it to something. We are taking a loss to do it. And for me, having that discussion, regardless of the outcome, so long as the outcome is judged to be acceptable to the stakeholders, is what you can do. Uh, having a sort of knee-jerk encoded reaction to the things you are going to have or just saying like, oh, we had a failure as people have to find success now is not nearly as practical as saying this is what we think a healthy organization or healthy teams are doing in the face of incidents. So for me, that's it. You have to shift your perspective to the good things you think you can do uh, because you are going to encourage that behavior through the metrics. And so that uh, ties back to counting the forest fires. I want to know that, you know, I imagine you want to know that the people, the, the forest firefighters are making solid decisions, that they're protecting the things that are worth protecting the most, that you prioritize the right fires because you don't necessarily control when they're going to come up or how bad they're going to be. But that's the part you have to focus on then. Uh, when it happens, how do you fight it properly? How do you give the proper tools? And the metrics and the objectives should reflect this idea rather than hoping and crossing your fingers that it doesn't happen. I like it. Measure what matters. Thanks, Fred, for all your insight on today's topic. Right. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, who listened to our conversation. If you would like more information on what we've discussed today, make sure you head over to honeycomb.io. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at em360tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head over to em360tech.com.